Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue, Gorgias, Part 7 At this point in the dialogue, Callicles, the owner of the house and host of the discussion, breaks in. Tell me, Chirophon, is Socrates in earnest, or is he joking? I should say, Callicles, responded Chirophon, that he is in most profound earnest. But you may well ask him. By the gods, and I will. Tell me, Socrates, are you in earnest or only in jest? For if you are in earnest, and what you say is true, is not the whole of human life turned upside down? And are we not doing, as would appear, in everything the opposite of what we ought to be doing? O Callicles, said Socrates, if there were not some community of feelings among mankind, however varying in different persons, I mean to say, if every man's feelings were peculiar to himself and were not shared by the rest of his species, I do not see how we could ever communicate our impressions to one another. I make this remark because I perceive that you and I have a common feeling, for we are lovers both, and both of us have two loves apiece. I am the lover of Alcibiades, the son of Cleinias, and of philosophy, and you of the Athenian Demas, and of Demas the son of Pyrilampis. Now I observe that you, with all your cleverness, do not venture to contradict your favorite in any word or opinion of his, but as he changes, you change, backwards and forwards. When the Athenian Demas denies anything that you are saying in the assembly, you go over to his opinion. And you do the same with Demas, the fair young son of Pyrilampes, for you have not the power to resist the words and ideas of your loves. And if a person were to express surprise at the strangeness of what you say, from time to time, when under their influence, you would probably reply to him, if you were honest, that you cannot help saying what your loves say unless they are prevented, and that you can only be silent when they are. Now you must understand that my words are an echo too, and therefore you need not wonder at me. But if you want to silence me, silence philosophy, who is my love, for she is always telling me what I am now telling you, my friend. Neither is she capricious like my other love, for the son of Cleinias says one thing today and another thing tomorrow. But philosophy is always true. She is the teacher at whose words you are now wondering, and you have heard her yourself. Her you must refute and either show, as I was saying, that to do injustice and to escape punishment is not the worst of all evils. Or, if you leave her word unrefuted, by the dog the god of Egypt, I declare, O Callicles, that Callicles will never be at one with himself, but that his whole life will be a discord. And yet, my friend, I would rather that my lyre should be inharmonious, and that there should be no music in the chorus which I provided. I, or that the whole world should be at odds with me and oppose me, rather than that I myself should be at odds with myself and contradict myself. O Socrates, said Callicles, you are a regular declaimer, and seem to be running riot in the argument. And now you are declaiming in this way because Polus has fallen into the same error of which he accused Gorgias. For he said that when Gorgias was asked by you whether, if someone came to him who wanted to learn rhetoric, and did not know justice, he would teach him justice. Gorgias, in his modesty, replied that he would, 
because he thought that mankind in general would be displeased if he answered no. And then, in consequence of this admission, Gorgias was compelled to contradict himself, that being just the sort of thing in which you delight. Whereupon Polus laughed at you deservedly, as I think, but now he has himself fallen into the same trap. I cannot say very much for his wit, when he conceded to you that to do is more honorable than to suffer injustice. For this was the admission which led to his being entangled by you. And because he was too modest to say what he thought, he had his mouth stopped. For the truth is, Socrates, that you, who pretend to be engaged in the pursuit of truth, are appealing now to the popular and vulgar notions of right, which are not natural, but only conventional. Convention and nature are generally at variance with one another. And hence, if a person is too modest to say what he thinks, he is compelled to contradict himself. And you, in your ingenuity, perceiving the advantage to be thereby gained, slyly ask of him who is arguing conventionally a question which is to be determined by the rule of nature. And if he is talking of the rule of nature, you slip away to custom, as, for instance, you did in this very discussion about doing and suffering injustice. When Polus was speaking of the conventionally dishonorable, you assailed him from the point of view of nature, for by the rule of nature to suffer injustice is the greater disgrace because the greater evil, but conventionally to do evil is the more disgraceful. For the suffering of injustice is not the part of a man, but of a slave, who indeed had better die than live, since when he is wronged and trampled upon, he is unable to help himself, or any other about whom he cares. The reason, as I conceive, is that the makers of laws are the majority who are weak, and they make laws and distribute praises and censures with a view to themselves and to their own interests and they terrify the stronger sort of men, and those who are able to get the better of them, in order that they may not get the better of them. And, they say, that dishonesty is shameful and unjust, meaning by the word injustice the desire of a man to have more than his neighbors. For knowing their own inferiority, I suspect that they are too glad of equality. And therefore, the endeavor to have more than the many is conventionally said to be shameful and unjust, and is called injustice. Whereas nature herself intimates that it is just for the better to have more than the worse, the more powerful than the weaker. And in many ways she shows, among men as well as among animals, and indeed among whole cities and races, that justice consists in the superior ruling over and having more than the inferior. For on what principle of justice did Xerxes invade Hellas, or his father, the Scythians? Not to speak of numberless other examples. Nay, but these are the men who act according to nature. Yes, by heaven, and according to the law of nature. Not, perhaps, according to that artificial law which we invent and impose upon our fellows of whom we take the best and strongest from their youth upwards and tame them like young lions, charming them with the sound of the voice, and saying to them that with equality they must be content, and that the equal is the honorable and the just. But if there were a man who had sufficient force, he would shake off and break through and escape from all this. He would trample underfoot all our formulas and spells and charms, and all our laws, which are against nature. 
the slave would rise in rebellion and be lord over us, and the light of natural justice would shine forth. And this I take to be the sentiment of Pindar, when he says in his poem that, quote, Law is the king of all, of mortals as well as of immortals. End quote. This, as he says, quote, makes might to be right, doing violence with highest hand, as I infer from the deeds of Heracles, for without buying them. I do not remember the exact words, but the meaning is that without buying them, and without their being given to him, he carried off the oxen of Geryon according to the law of natural right, and that the oxen and other possessions of the weaker and inferior properly belong to the stronger and superior. And this is true, as you may ascertain, if you will leave philosophy and go on to higher things. For philosophy, Socrates, if pursued in moderation and at the proper age, is an elegant accomplishment, but too much philosophy is the ruin of human life. Even if a man has good parts, still, if he carries philosophy into later life, he is necessarily ignorant of all those things which a gentleman and a person of honor ought to know. He is inexperienced in the laws of the state, and in the language which ought to be used in the dealings of man with man, whether private or public, and utterly ignorant of the pleasures and desires of mankind and of human character in general. And people of this sort, when they betake themselves to politics or business, are as ridiculous as I imagine the politicians to be when they make their appearance in the arena of philosophy. For, as Euripides says, quote, Every man shines in that, and pursues that, and devotes the greatest portion of the day to that in which he most excels. End quote. But anything in which he is inferior, he avoids and depreciates, and praises the opposite from partiality to himself, and because he thinks that he will thus praise himself. The true principle is to unite them. Philosophy, as a part of education, is an excellent thing, and there is no disgrace to a man while he is young in pursuing such a study. But when he is more advanced in years, the thing becomes ridiculous. And I feel towards philosophers as I do towards those who lisp and imitate children. For I love to see a little child, who is not of an age to speak plainly, lisping at his play. There is an appearance of grace and freedom in his utterance, which is natural to his childish years. But when I hear some small creature carefully articulating its words, I am offended. The sound is disagreeable and has to my ears the twang of slavery. So when I hear a man lisping, or see him playing like a child, his behavior appears to me ridiculous and unmanly, and worthy of stripes. And I have the same feeling about students of philosophy. When I see a youth thus engaged, the study appears to me to be in character, and becoming a man of liberal education and him who neglects philosophy I regard as an inferior man, who will never aspire to anything great or noble. But if I see him continuing the study in later life, and not leaving off, I should like to beat him, Socrates. For as I was saying, such a one, even though he have good natural parts, becomes effeminate. He flies from the busy center in the marketplace, in which, 
as the poet says, men become distinguished. He creeps into a corner for the rest of his life, and talks in a whisper with three or four admiring youths, but never speaks out like a free man, in a satisfactory manner. Now I, Socrates, am very well inclined towards you, and my feeling may be compared with that of Zethus towards Amphion, in the play of Euripides, whom I was mentioning just now. For I am disposed to say to you much what Zethus said to his brother, that you, Socrates, are careless about the things of which you ought to be careful, and that you, quote, who have a soul so noble, are remarkable for a puerile exterior. Neither in a court of justice could you state a case, or give any reason or proof, or offer valiant counsel on another's behalf. End quote. And you must not be offended, my dear Socrates, for I am speaking out of good will towards you, if I ask whether you are not ashamed of being thus defenseless, which I affirm to be the condition not of you only, but of all those who will carry the study of philosophy too far. For suppose that someone were to take you, or any one of your sort, off to prison, declaring that you had done wrong when you had done no wrong, you must allow that you would not know what to do. There you would stand giddy and gaping, and not having a word to say. And when you went up before the court, even if the accuser were a poor creature and not good for much, you would die if he were disposed to claim the penalty of death. And yet, Socrates, what is the value of, quote, an art which converts a man of sense into a fool? End quote. Who is helpless and has no power to save either himself or others when he is in the greatest danger and is going to be despoiled by his enemies of all his goods and has to live simply deprived of his rights of citizenship? He being a man who, if I may use the expression, may be boxed on the ears with impunity. Then, my good friend, take my advice and refute no more. Quote, Learn the philosophy of business, and acquire the reputation of wisdom, but leave to others these niceties. End quote. Whether they are to be described as follies or absurdities. Quote, for they will only give you poverty for the inmate of your dwelling. End quote. Cease, then, emulating these paltry splitters of words, and emulate only the man of substance and honor who is well to do. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where we ought to be, and when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow, and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>